This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Fiona McIntosh. Welcome to Better Reading. Thank you. Lovely to be here again. I always love having you around. You know, you really are a breath of fresh air. Tell me. Do why? people tell you that? <laughs> I think I'm uh, a bit loud and a yeah. bit silly and prepared to make a bit of a fool of myself on, uh, on the that stage. Be a, yeah. I think that it's um, some people have a presence, a charisma when they walk in the room, and you've got that. Wow, thank you. Yeah, there you go. You can take that, have that. I'll it's, have that. And I'm not the only person that says it. I've heard a lot of people say that about Is Daniel you. Craig saying this? Is Colin Firth saying this? Though? Well, the last time I saw Daniel Craig, I didn't ask about you. Well, I you only asked. asked about me. <laughs> <laughs> Fiona was born in the UK but spent a lot of time growing up in Ghana where her father worked at a gold mine. This ignited a lifelong passion for travelling throughout the world. She moved to Australia, met and married her husband, with whom she co-created the travel magazine Travel News Australia. And that story is still my favourite ever. (laughs) The receptionist story. Maybe we'll tell that again this time. They worked on the travel magazine together for 15 years until Fiona felt compelled to start writing her own novels. More than three dozen novels later... So it's at, it's at 36. Where I think this is 37. Wow. Mm. Well, there you go. Fiona has surely succeeded in that endeavour. Her genres span crime, non-fiction, historical romance, adventure, time slip and adult and child fantasy. I Time slip is not one I was familiar with. I mean, I get what it is, yeah. but I didn't know it was a defined genre. Oh, yes. I think people who don't want to be known as a fantasy writer and are really writing something um, that has that element of fantasy in it, um, would prefer to be called time slip. Oh, there you go. And, and I think publishers like it too, if they know quite clearly that it's time slip, and wow. that's the only magic in the story. Yeah, there you go. I have been in the industry over 30 years and it's the first time I'd heard that. You learn something new every day, yeah. don't you? Well, I'll t- I think why this happens is because... Um, if you spoke to a an audience, mainly of women, let's say slightly middle-aged to older women, and said, do you read fantasy? You'd get that sort of lemon-lipped look back um, because they'd think, well, no, that's what I read when I was a child. Yes. I don't read that now. But if you said, who's read The Time Traveller's Wife? Oh, I or, laughed. Exactly. Or who's read um, Outlander? Uh, you know, every hand in the room will go up. And my response to that is always, so time travel is possible. Mm. And I always qualify it and say, no, you're reading fantasy. You're just reading a different style of fantasy. And there are lots of sub-fantasies that you Is magic make. realism fantasy? 
Um, I've never really understood that genre, but yes, I think it is. Yeah. So you would have a ghost or you would have yep. um, some ethereal or paranormal quality to the storytelling. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, there you go. All of Fiona's novels have a very strong sense of place and time. Fiona has previously stated that travelling is her way of doing justice to the historical narrative. Fiona does intensive location work to ensure she is able to experience and feel her character's surroundings and to travel. Well, I think a lot of people think, well, this is a very cunning way to travel, isn't it? But sense of place is so important to my books crucial yeah and um in order for me to evoke that place um for people who may have been there before you need to get that right and for people who haven't you want them to be able to see it in their mind's eye and also maybe have that feeling of i would like to see that you know i'd like to see this place absolutely and i think if you don't get that right that's when the book isn't compelling i think the place is a character and it's very important. We had um, Tim Winton in <clears throat> a few years back, I think now, um, talking about his last book and he starts with place as That's well. So do I. That's yeah. where I begin. I always, uh, most people think the story comes first. The story comes last for me. So the first thing I do is think, well, where am I going to take readers yeah. this time? Where would they like to go with me? And for this story, um, I mean, Africa just... F- I've never written about Africa before and it just felt um, time to tackle yeah. it. It's one of those scary destinations in terms of, okay, that's a big undertaking. Um, so you sort of avoid it. But having done India for the tea gardens, it felt, well, it's time to do Africa. Yeah. Well, the book is beautiful. It's called The Diamond Hunter. Um, <clears throat> so let's talk about that now. Um, so... Did you spend time in Africa? Oh, yes, Tell I did. Tell me what you did. Tell yeah, me how no, that came about. It's very important for, um, I qualify that I will never, ever write mm. about anywhere that I haven't been before. And I do worry about anyone who might attempt to write about Cairo, for example, or Morocco if they haven't been there, or Africa, or London or Sydney. I think readers pick up on that. Of course they do. And they do. It's a sort of an injustice to your readers and... Um, I call it due diligence. That's what I call it. And I feel I really have to go and put my feet on the ground. Um, For the book I've just, more just finishing, I've gone back three times to a particular place because I needed to get it so right. And it it was challenging me. So it was big overseas travel. When I tell you where it is, people will say, no, that's just her trying to get back to um, that particular place. But it it will show itself, I hope, in the book. Um, Do you think your love of travel and your love of writing are interwined? I mean, is that... um, Because there's a relationship there, isn't there? Yes, but I think what it is is that my um, former career as in the travel industry nourishes what I do now. And there was a wealth of travel and experience for those 15 years and all the years before that when I was travelling independently, um, that makes me more confident perhaps, more fearless in, in where I'll go and what I'll try and find. Um, so it nourishes it. They they Do they go hand in hand? I think travel and reading goes hand in hand for without sure. You wouldn't dream of surely setting off on yeah. any journey without a book yeah. um, in your bag or a book or two or three in your bag or in your um, reader um, because you're going to find yourself in train stations and and airports and cancellations and all sorts of dramas where you need to just stay patient. 
I often think about this because I love travel myself and I, I try I do house swaps. So I take Oh uh, do you? Yeah, I take two trips a year at least. Um and I love my home. I love where I live in Sydney. I love my dog. I love my family. But I love leaving and I love coming back. Mm. What is that? The coming back, I understand. Interestingly enough, I'm, uh, if the travel stopped tomorrow, yeah. that wouldn't bother me. I'm, right. not, I'm not that kind of traveller that needs to go on holiday. But I am curious about the world and I love learning about the world. And so I like seeing new places um, to educate myself. It is that curiosity. I think that that's what it is. Um, and is it looking at difference and, you know, is it the shock of the new? Like this last trip, I went to Barcelona, Cannes and Copenhagen and all three I'd not been to before. Mm. And I can't even I can't even rate which one was my favourite because I loved all of oh, them. Oh, that's brilliant. But is that really just travel? Is it the discovery that you I love? think so. I think yeah. it's, uh, for me it's discovery and curiosity and um, culture, yeah. um, just immersing yourself in someone else's culture, yeah. knowing it's it's not yours but that doesn't matter. That's what makes it fabulous. I mean, I love travelling through the Middle East for that because I like learning about that culture. But yeah. Everywhere you go, you'll you'll find different rituals or conventions, and that are surprising. But it's that lovely feeling of sighing when you fly in to your own home base, oh, I love and that you too. just think, "I'm home." Yeah, I love because that. there's a lot of what we maybe go in search of holiday-wise is at home, and I've discovered that time and again over the years of travelling that a lot of what we go in search of um, is here in our own region. However, um, it's got that different quality when you're overseas. You know, yeah. it's different people and different ways of approaching things. But, yeah, the coming home is very important. Now, I don't know if you do this, but I do this almost every time, um, particularly in Barcelona and Copenhagen this time, not necessarily can, but I imagine myself living in that city. Oh, oh yes, yes, do you yes, do yes, that? yes. And, and I start I just, looking at yes, real estate. Yes. I start looking at apartments <laughs> and saying, oh, I could so yeah. live here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely. In Copenhagen, somebody told me that foreigners uh, couldn't buy property and I'm like, oh, bummer. Yeah. Like, how likely is it going to be? <laughs> no, I do it all the time doing it right now for yeah. Yorkshire because I've just returned from Yorkshire and I'm thinking, yeah, yeah I think I'm just going to try and find a little stone cottage yeah. somewhere on the Yorkshire Moors because I could do this. Yeah. And, um, you know, my husband just smiles. He said, you do this all the time. Mm. He said, we all, all the time. And he I'm said, glad you do it because sometimes yeah. I think I'm mad. Do you know what I, where I feel let down is um, by air travel um, because it hasn't really gone any faster over the years. And we had Dr Carl in recently <laughs> and I said, I'm not happy about that. And he said, it's not possible unless we leave the atmosphere and come back. Yeah, so, so it's You're, you're going to have to go really upwards yeah, before you come down. Yeah, it can't really get any faster. Well, what you do is you break journey and you have a lovely side trip, which is what we do now. At do my you? Age, yeah, I don't want to do 20 hours straight. It's in awful. an hour. Yeah, so we break journey somewhere yeah. and have three days on the ground yeah. somewhere. Uh, to just get into a different time zone and to let your ankles stop swelling and 
all of those dramas of being slightly older and travelling and being yeah. tired. And um, I, I'll just deviate for a second because I thought this was very funny and you might have seen it, uh, the Qu- how Qantas launched that direct flight from Sydney to mm. New York and there's Alan Joyce and all those people saying, oh, it wasn't that hard. All of them in, in first, first class. class. <laughs> yes. Did you notice that? Easy. It's so Apparently easy. there was no one in economy. No, why would there be? Alan <laughs> Joyce doesn't fly economy. Exactly. And they're all like, oh, it wasn't too bad. And I was like, well, we'll do it in 57K yes. like I do. Absolutely. And, then come back and, and I do too. I do too. I mean, I'm sure people think I'm right at the front of the plane. I'm not. No. I'm in 57K no. too yeah. um, because I go overseas three times a year. Yeah. And, um, that, you know, accommodation and the research and hiring guides and all that sort of thing, it, it, it's, a, it's a monster amount yeah. of money yeah, yeah. that has to be invested in each of those journeys. And, yeah. and so I can't justify being at the front of the plane. No. I want to be there desperately. but yeah. Same. Yeah. I always pray that somebody, <laughs> some miracle's going to happen. It never does. My sister was travelling around about the same time and she was in business and she took a photograph of herself having champagne That's in very business. very cruel. Very cruel. So I took a photograph of myself <laughs> <laughs> having some water in 57K. Yeah. It, it wasn't the same. <laughs> it wasn't the same. Okay, I want to talk about the writing. So you, you're putting out a book a year. Yes, or That's two, really. if I yeah, oh, yeah. look, the writing is the simple part of this whole equation. The writing, okay. Is so tell me easy. how it starts. I want to go from the beginning. Okay, so the process is um, the first thing is well, coming up with your actual setting and your era. Yep. For me, I have to think about which era am I writing in and where am I going to base this story. Um, and that's just happened, and I've decided that for 2021, I'm taking readers off to. Um, Britain and Germany. So that's where, and I know the years that we're going to be concentrating on. So I flew to uh, Britain to go and find some locations for this story to unfold. Um, I found a few. It's very early days. Um, I found a few, but I'm feeling confident now. I know... I know roughly how the story might unfold. I've got to start thinking about the characters. I will go to Germany next year. So that's that pre-work. Now I'm going to start reading and reading and reading about my subject matter, um, learning everything I can. So loads of non-fiction books tumbling into the house so that I can start learning. And then um, from mid-year next year, I'll start writing it. And the writing will take 12 weeks. 12 to 14 weeks. Wow. Mm. And how many words is that? Uh, I'll probably deliver around 120,000 words. Yeah. Um, wow. And it might stay at 120. Not all those, they'll interchange. We'll cut out 20 and add another 20. But usually around 110 is probably a happy um, word count for one of my size books. And, and my readers, my audience like that size. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the reading, the writing is the easy bit because I'm at home, yep. I'm in my kitchen, I'm, I've got my coffee machine, I'm doing it each day and I've got that lovely discipline. And and do you do that yes, every day? Yes, yeah, I'm very disciplined. And you, how many hours? Would it's you not every a- day. I write to a word count and right. I write um, for so however long it takes me to write that word count. Now, if, if I'm on fire, I'll yeah. write that word count in about an hour. 
If I'm not on fire, I will take three hours, but I rarely will go over three hours. Um, So I do that four days a week. I'll write, and I think every girl needs a Friday off. So all the girls here have permission to take Fridays off because I've said so. (laughs) And, um, and, you know, the weekends are for family and for doing to enjoy your home and your garden and your dogs and your, you know, your friends and, and that sort of thing. So I'm very much into family and I love to bake and cook and that's what I do. That's my pleasure. So it's four days a week. And with that, I can produce this, The Diamond Hunter. Now, if I'm going to do two books a year, um, and there's a danger of that coming at me because um, my publisher has asked me to write more Jack Hawksworth, the crime novels, um, I'm going to have to do two books a year because the audience, though they will embrace Jack and are big time, they still don't want to miss out on their yes. historical novels. So I've got right. to think about how I'll and do that. And is that two headspaces? Yes, I mean, yeah. absolutely. T- tell me about that. Do you um, compartmentalise? Yes, com- I do. Yeah. I'm one of those people that can compartmentalise really, really well. Um, so when I was away, just my, I only got back a couple of days ago, I was across three novels. I was researching three novels and it was I found it quite easy to just switch off and move to the next one and switch off and move to that next third one. I didn't find that hard. So, so I you're think, not going to have a character creeping from one no, and I think <laughs> and landing in another. No, I don't. I, it, it doesn't throw me at all. And no. I think that that's my superhero skill that I have is I can compartmentalise on everything I do. So the minute I finish my writing for the day, it's done. It's I'm done. And yeah. I've switched off and I move into whichever compartment is next, which might be walking or cooking for the day or whatever and I don't worry about the book till the next day. Melina Marquetta was in um, recently as well. We um, talked to her about the art of writing dialogue actually because mm-hmm. I think she does that so beautifully. But she said to me uh, during that conversation is that the book is written in her head before she starts writing. Oh really? Yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not, not aware of that at all. I think I'm writing in the moment, always in the moment, yeah. yeah. I think I... D- do give lots of credit to Becca Brain and I think when I put my head on my pillow each night and finally switch off because I have 25 hours in every day I make it stretch that far Um, I think when I finally do go to sleep my brain goes into overdrive and starts to rearrange everything for the next day because I don't write to any plan and I don't have notes and who knows where I've taken it today so back yeah, up, the subconscious has to say oh gosh she's taking it over here so how are we going to get it how are we going to bring that character back in and how are we going to do this so I'm definitely not that person that has yeah. the book written in my head at all I don't even think about it I sit down and I've got no idea so those characters aren't swirling around no, in your head for a while no not at all so tell me about the crossover when the the travel career finished and the writing began tell me about your first book the first book was a fantasy and that happened because that's what I was reading a lot of at that time very high quality fantasy nothing I never read rubbish I was reading George R.R. Right. R. Martin I was reading Robin Hobb I was reading Guy Gavriel Kay beautiful writers who who inspired me and I thought I th- I think I can do this. And so I wrote this story. Had you been writing growing no, up? No. no. I hadn't written anything since. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You know, junior primary days. Wow. No real, no story writing. Um, so you hadn't, you know, been a child and wanted to grow, kept a diary. And no, never to kept a, a diary, never no. kept a journal, never wrote at school. Yeah. And yet I studied history. That's what I was very good at. I was very good at English. Um, and I was very good at the history of art. So obviously I had that leaning was was already there. Yeah. And the, I now look back at my career, and my career has always been wordsmithing. I've yes. been involved in crunching words in some way, shape or form. But I had never written anything creative. There were articles, there were correspondence, there were reports, and um, there might have been some copywriting, but very little. And it was as much a shock to me um, as it was to... Um, my family when you know they were sort of um humoring me when i was writing my first book you know she's writing her book well <laughs> she better get this out of her system sort of thing and to have it picked up by a global um so publisher, how did that happen well fairy tale i wrote the book i wrote it very quickly in five weeks burning on this confidence from a, a master class with bryce courtney and um you know, he said, you're already a writer, Fiona. You just haven't accepted it. He said, go home and do not write historical because you're not ready to do that. But you you have my permission to write fantasy because that's what you're reading. That's and a great that, endorsement. It is, and it was the best advice. It was yeah. a really strong, powerful, important piece of advice he gave me, and I would pass that on to all the people that I work with as yeah. well. I want to talk about your okay, writing you know, because I was disappointed by it at the time and he could see I was disappointed and he said, you're not ready to write this book and I'll tell you why and I'll, I need to impress upon you that to write historical fiction will demand an, a very solid pound of flesh from you. You have to do a lot of work that you won't have to do for, his, for fantasy. I'm not suggesting it's any less, it's but there's a, lot of, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of homework to be done for right. this. And he had a team of researchers working with him yeah. um, to, to um, research his very big novels. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I decided, look, you came here to get training, so don't now ignore the teacher's training. You know, no. he's the maestro. He knows what he's talking about. And so I listened to him, and it was the best thing I did. So I wrote a fantasy. I wrote it very quickly and sent it off to HarperCollins. And they were back in about three days. And, and said, you just plucked a name did you how did you do that um i no i was a bit sneaky and we're going back pre-email days now and pre-internet days so this is 19 uh this is the year 2000 1999 year 2000 and i um rang up pretending i was a journalist 
and I wanted to do... <laughs> so you're good at yes, that. Yes, and yeah. said I was um, going to do a story about um, the wave of fantasy writing that was... And they said, oh, you have to speak to our head of fiction for that. And that, and I said, who is that? And they said, Stephanie Smith. And I said, okay, could you give me a, a direct phone number to this? And, and actually email had... Sorry, I lied. Email had just started probably. And I needed... Well, I needed to get her direct address and her direct line and I got it all. And they said, oh, if you want it to go to Stephanie, you just mark on it. They said something like C4 or something. And I was like, yeah, bingo, got, got it. it. <laughs> and um, sent it to her. And uh, she she was, she was, told me she was very cranky by this manuscript that landed on her desk because it wasn't solicited, it wasn't ordered, yes. it, it didn't come through the slush pile, it just landed, but it had all the right codes on it. So she felt obliged to open it. And she said, I remember reading the first page and thinking... All right, that's actually quite good, and you know, because you can tell a lot from the yes. opening page. And then she said, about ten minutes in, I realised I was twenty-five pages in or something. So she said, I got up and closed my door. And she said, when an editor wow. closes their door, yes. it means do not disturb. Yeah. And she said, I read the whole thing and then picked up the phone to you and said, oh, wow. I want this. So it all happened in the space of about six weeks. Yeah. So and I was very lucky. Very and there lucky. was that career. Launched. And it started, and I and haven't looked back. Mm. And I was, you know, they put me on that quite mad schedule of two books a year. I was such a novice, though, that I did all my training sort of in the public arena. So you can, if you go back and start reading my books from the beginning, you'll see the the growth and the learning. And it's called practice. Yeah, but yeah. it's very public. Yeah. So a lot of writers probably have twelve or fifteen manuscripts that they've hone those skills on and by the time they're published they're coming out with a pretty good book whereas yeah. mine was you know um it was a great story but the writing needed to improve and and, and you can see it and it has if you compare the diamond hunter there there yeah. is no comparison but that's you know that's life you're never oh, going to be good at absolutely. something unless you practice do you know um here at better reading all our readers are such um great readers and you know i value their opinions i mean Every single night I read all our readers' comments and there's hundreds mm. these days. Um, but when, say for instance, um, now let me remember, what was your last book called? Um, the Pearl Thief. The Pearl Thief. So within a couple of minutes of us posting The Pearl Thief, um, readers had already seen it, so maybe we were kind of a week out or two weeks out, and people were saying the best yet, great story, uh, you know, all fans of yours, this is the best one, this is, you know, the best one in a long time, blah, blah, blah. And when I went back and looked at previous comments, they loved those as well. But what I'm getting at, there is always one, I mean, because everyone can't be like that, can, can it? And well, what is it, do you think, that makes that story really resonate? Um, I think it was... Do you feel that as yes, a writer? Yes, I do, I do, yeah. I do. I, I, even, I have no sense of my writing when I'm writing a book because right. I don't read my own work right. until it's finished. So that's the other weird thing about me. I never read what I've written. Right. So the first time I read the whole manuscript is when my editor is reading it for the first time too. Oh, wow. And I'm trying to beat her thinking, oh, my gosh, I hope this is good enough, you know. Yeah. So... Um, I have no sense of my writing for all 36 novels, including The Diamond Hunter. But for The Pearl Thief, I had a real sense of what I was writing and I knew I was writing a ball terror. I knew it. I knew yes. Katerina was a character that was going to um, just climb into the hearts of readers and stay there and they were going to despise her nemesis um, and they were going to be torn between the two other men in her life. And I knew all of that because that's how I was feeling. It was a very emotional uh, 
write, and it was a very emotional read. And so the Pearl Thief actually um, destroyed me for a while because I was very frightened to write The Diamond Hunter. Yeah. Very frightened yeah. because The Pearl Thief was such a big success um, and is now unfolding around the world and, and, you know, getting really good reviews. And it's terrifying to try and follow that. And so the only way I could see my way clear to doing that was to make sure that whatever followed it was so different that it wouldn't stand up to comparison. Yeah. All like the only comparison that could be made is that a reader would say, I loved it. And that's what I, I'm getting from the event so far. People are saying, is this your best yet? And yeah. I, you know, Here you just go. think, oh, yeah. gr great, I yeah. love that because it means they're not trying to compare it to the Pearl Thief. No, they're um, all standalone. There's no likeness, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, and I've deliberately done it. You know, it's I've taken well, the, the eras boring. different. Yeah. The eras wildly yeah. different. The characters, yeah. a little girl. Yeah. Um, it's not a love story. It's no. a story of friendship. Yeah. It's not a Nazi hunt. It's about betrayal in that friendship. And, and it's Africa, not Europe. Yep. And it's the 1870s. It's not my usual playground. Mm. So that was a huge challenge. Mm. Mm. Well, I think you've nailed it again. Um, I want to talk about your writing classes because I hear about them all the time. So many people that cross my path, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, um, I know Meredith Drake yeah. was going. I didn't think she ended she up... She was really sick. Yeah, yeah. She, yeah. So that wasn't great. But... Um, but I think it was Alyssa Bailey and a couple of other people I know went and people come back energised. Yeah, we all were. I mean, I, we had a conference. So, so tell me where the idea to have them came from. Well, it was Bryce again. Um, he, When he was dying, um, he was holding a final masterclass and he asked me to come and share it with him. And he said, Nin 90 minutes on the ground, darling, just come and stand up so I can point to you and say, if you do what I say, you can be Fiona. You know, here she is... A, what a generous story. thing to do. Yeah, I, but he also wanted to say, look, listen to me, I know what I'm talking about, and yeah. here, here's a living embodiment of she took my advice and listened, and, yeah. and here she is. And when I got there, I could, I could see how very, very sick he was, how frail he was, and he was trying to deliver this last massive masterclass to 20 um, writers and he knew as a professional he'd have to d see that through but I could see how are you going to do this and so he asked me to stay he said yeah. could you help me and I, of course I would um, and so we did it together and he said to me Fiona just take the masterclass will you he said you should be doing this he said look behind you and help these writers you know they need your kind of he said you're so tough he said I'm nothing like you and I said well if I take it on I do it my way he said well I'm dying darling you know mm. so I, just do it keep the legacy going and um, so I took it on I rewrote it I, the whole format is entirely different to how Bryce did it however Bryce is in that course you can mm. his his teachings are all in that course and I follow them to this day everything he ever taught me I follow to this day and so I I make sure that my um, students also benefit from that because it was all wise words I do hear that you are tough too I'm very tough I'm very <laughs> well, blunt I blunt think. yes <laughs> I am a blunt instrument in well, the class that's what you need yeah you need reality checks all the time yeah. but I'm not cruel yeah so I'm blunt and I make sure that people are laughing and as well yeah. as I'm being blunt so so there's a way of doing that. And we've, we got up to about, we were just short of 300 um, students 
and they all wanted to meet. And I said, look, I'm not having a party. I don't like parties. Um, but I said, I will hold a conference for you. And so we held this conference um, last month, and it was just crazy good. It was yeah. just incredible. I, I incredible. just heard fabulous yeah. things about Michael it. Michael Robotham came. Yes, he was yes. meant to stay, just do a, a piece um, for an hour, and he stayed for three days. He said, yeah. ah, you know... <laughs> I'm liking all this adoration because, you know, people went crazy to have Michael with them for the whole time. Yeah. But we had five publishers and we had, you know, booksellers. We had but you've also got published authors out of it. Published, fabulous published authors. Name and a we, few Yeah, well, uh, Adam Cece is absolutely going gangbusters. We've got Tanya Blanchard, who's on her mm. number three book. We've got Lauren Cater, who's yeah. about to come out with her new one, um... We've got Trisha um, Stringer, who is just... Oh, is she? Yeah, too. yeah. She was in the office just the other day. I love her. Beautiful. We've Isn't got she a lovely Meredith writer? Appleyard um, and more. We've mm. got probably... How does that make you feel? Fabulous, fabulous. It makes Great. me feel that I um, was true to Bryce, that I, I was true to that promise that I gave him. But also I think it's my way of giving back and thanking... Um, I suppose the universe for what it's done for me. This mm. you must look over your shoulder and help others. There's no point in being territorial. You know, there's enough room for everybody to oh, thrive, totally and there's enough readers out there who are hungry enough. I mean, if we give them more books, they'll read them. Yeah. And okay, not everyone's as good as each other at the moment, but you are going to get better. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. And also, you sometimes feel like reading one thing over another. That, that's just, right. Just for that. I mean, if you've read a, a big trilogy, for example, or you've read some um, serial killing, you need something, a switch up, that yeah. will give you just a break, a chance to breathe. You might read historical fiction or a, a romantic story, yeah. and then you'll go back to um, your next lovely yeah. um, tale of crime and mystery. Yeah. I mean, there's, there, there's never enough books in the world, so... Now, I've been, this is kind of um, to change the subject, but something that I've been thinking about for a couple of months, um, <clears throat> I think here we we have such a co close connection with readers and, as I said, I read the comments every single night and I know I get a feel for what they like to read and a lot of it is historical fiction with a female lead, lead. right? Mm. And I often wonder about that, but is it because those voices had never been heard in history? Is it because now that women are starting to write for women? Is that? Do you think that that's happening? I, th oh, I definitely think it's happening. But I think um, a lot of this is that um, the kind of issues that we deal with today yeah. haven't actually changed. No. You know, yeah. a, a woman who's striving for a career might still want to be a mother, might yes. still want to be married and have that home life. And she's got to try and work out how am I going to juggle that because I've got to take time off to um, be a good mother, to have this child or children, um, and I've got to put time into them. And there's it's finding that balance that, but I still want to achieve this. I still want to study. I yeah. still want to... And your time is shortened, you know, because yeah. you've got to cram it all in. So I think women, the women I write about, are always pushing back against social norms. They're always saying, yeah, but why can't I? You know, but there were rules and regulations yeah. against them. I was writing this book, The Diamond Hunter, and I realised I was in an era of chaperones yeah. where she couldn't even be alone with a man. And I had to, I thought, oh, how's that for a, a rod yes. for my back? How am I going to get any sort of um, relationship going if she can't be alone with him? So, yeah, I think 
I think we like to read about those times and understand that things have changed, but not so much that we can't recognise similar problems. And they are connected with marriage and motherhood and family and being a good good at all those things yeah. and we all want to be superwomen but yes those voices weren't heard and there are some tremendous stories out there of brave brilliant women yeah. and we're still discovering them i mean every year there's a story about an uncovered story about some woman yeah, who did something amazing during world war one mm. who drove an ambulance right through the front lines or something and no one's ever recognized mm. her so there's brilliant stories um and i think as readers we're beginning to enjoy that mm. um and it's being written by a woman about a woman mm. um and i think that's important too that, i do too mm, that the emotion is yeah. is right um that we're not hysterical creatures we are emotional but we're not hysterical and our, that emotion is part of what makes us um, powerful in our own way you know mm. so i think yeah i think women are enjoying tapping into that and absolutely. being respected you know i think so absolutely fiona mcintosh thank you so much my pleasure thank you Cheryl. if you'd like more information about better reading follow us on facebook or visit betterreading.com.au this podcast is proudly sponsored by belinda audio Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.